Welcome back to Unicorny's Forage into the Amazing World of Blue Ocean Strategy with Maya Gedesef from JetBlue. Now, in part one, we introduce you to Maya, General Manager Europe for JetBlue, and we talk to you about them being a Blue Ocean Strategy exemplar. I hope you found Maya's energy, passion and fizz as infectious as I did. And if you did, wow, you are in for another treat this time around. Now, in part one, we talked product and price. In this part, we're going to talk place and promotion. And at the end, I'm going to summarize both parts by looking at Blue Ocean strategy and how JetBlue has applied some of its most important facets. So you get some neat takeaways at the end of today's show. Now, as always, you will find very comprehensive show notes on our website at unicorny.co.uk. And we will also be inviting you to discuss this content through the Marketing Difference newsletter, which you can find on my profile on LinkedIn. And that, again, is linked from the show notes. Today, I don't want to waste any time. I want to get straight into it. So Maya, welcome back. Let's talk promotion. This is another really exciting area of development for JetBlue. So to start with, I think there's a masterstroke you guys have pulled off, which is capitalizing on the importance of your New York heritage. As you say, you are New York's airline. Talk to me a little bit about this because I love it. We have this benefit that we come from Queens. We are a New York's hometown airline and we are the airline that operates out of JFK Airport. Other New York airports as well, but for this purpose in transatlantic market, we are operating out of our own terminal and we are very much New York. Everything about our onboard proposition is New York. If you look at our onboard cabin, it reflects sort of the New York lifestyle. The food that we serve comes from New York brand restaurants. Uh, We have Pasquale Jones, Charlie Bird. We have in the back Dig uh, that we serve um, really fantastic concepts that, you know, people will want to. This is the the current lifestyle, actually. We're very current in that sense. In our uh, toilets, for example, on board, you'll see like blue tiles that remind of the Grand Central Station tiles. You know, so it has this link back to New York. This is what we want people to also feel, that we are a true New York airline and that they're going to basically have that experience, even though maybe they're not going just to New York, but going beyond. That's kind of the thing. When we entered the UK market, it was a lot about Jet Who. Okay. <laughs> Not <Jet> Blue. <laughs> That's a cruel pun. Yeah, I know, I know. And by the way, we accept that because you know, not everybody that um, that works in also in the travel industry, unless you've traveled to the United yep. States and had experience to fly with us, you wouldn't probably know JetBlue up until recently. Now we're changing yeah, yeah, this yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. This story has changed significantly over the past couple of years. We had to find the quickest and most efficient way to actually put our brand out there, to raise awareness. And just imagine, it was during the pandemic where there were no events, we, what was the point of putting any billboards out or putting anything anywhere? People weren't staying in their homes. You wouldn't have that frequency of, you know, bypassers reading, oh, look, JetBlue is here. Underground was shot. You know, it was it was quite difficult. So we said, all right, fine. What we need to do is get ourselves good, good strong partners through the travel trade to uh, okay. actually push okay. the message out. So this is how we kicked it off. Okay. We actually use the intermediary to basically push out the message. We talk to the trade. 
We worked with them closely. And by the way, I, I can just be super grateful for that. They became our ambassadors over yeah, time. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Everyone else is trying to disintermediate them at the time. Totally. Yeah. And and by the way, the trade was also on their knees, you know, yeah, at that yeah. point in time. They needed something fresh, new. It was a win-win again. Yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we basically found a way to, to work with trade to bring for them a new, fresh product, yeah. completely innovative, with good fares, with opportunities to actually earn working with us as well. Tell me a little bit about you, the promotional mix and how that works in the UK. You, you've hinted at the moment that when you landed in the country, I can't, I've got to stop using these aircraft puns, sorry. When you launched <laughs> in the UK, uh, that you went through the trade. And I'm going to come on to social and sponsorship in a minute. But what else is working for you at the moment? Do you, are, you, are you now advertising? Are you using direct mail or PR or in the promotional mix, what's working for you? Uh, to begin with, PR was extremely important. Okay. And I think we kind of rode on that wave of the PR. We entered at a time completely unexpected for an airline to do so. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it was all over the media. Everyone else was asleep at Exactly. The time. Yeah. I mean, people were, were trying to look inwards mostly to look, okay. you know, what do we do with ourselves? You know, how do we save our companies? And we basically announced we're coming. That was through trade press. And that was through all press. Okay, okay. We had at that point um, interviews with our leadership, okay. our CEO, who is actually British, uh, had uh, key interviews with key media on this end. Uh, we worked with, you know, the, the teller of the, the Times, okay. the Sunday Times, That those yep. were the, the kind of media outlets. And of course, we looked to also deploy social media assets because at that point you're thinking all right you know the the digital is probably the best and most cost efficient way yep. to get out there and everybody was constantly on their phones and 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 computers so it was the right way to to reach the customer at that point in time a bit later only we went with a b2c campaign that involved sort of a tagline we're great comma britain okay <laughs> so yeah yeah we had that for a while on cromwell road posted out there it was still a difficult and challenging time yeah uh it we were let's say as as aviation industry we were not yet back on on the horse not yet really functioning and we had the omicron coming around so it was like the leftovers oh, of the pandemic still there god i've forgotten about omicron oh yes um, so you did a little bit of outdoor yes. and, and, and plans for the future, maybe outdoor again or? So here is how we think about that. And honestly, I've been observing a little bit. As you can imagine, we are entering. This is not our home market. Yep. This is the market where we entered as a new entrant. And whatever we do, it will be a drop uh, yes. in the ocean. Yes. Yes. We will never be able to pull out um, campaigns that last over months, you know, and sure. and through and, and and have that continuity that our competition has. Yeah. But what we will do is we will definitely rely on partnerships, okay. huge partnerships with tourism boards. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, each one of these destinations where we fly to has a tourism board that is very interested in working yeah. with an airline to bring more um, sure. customers there. So we currently work with New York City conventions and tourism. We work with um, Meet Boston. That's their relevant tourism board. We work with New England, okay. Discover New England. We work with Discover Puerto Rico. We are one of the Ooh. biggest carriers in Puerto Rico. So we work Ooh, with that. I'd like to discover Puerto Rico. Uh, Puerto Rico is amazing. Oh. They're, they're really, oh. they're on the rise and there is a huge demand. Okay. And they're even this year, they're hosting the IGLTA um diversity, equity, inclusion, big conference there. And it's going to be very, very interesting. Wow. Yes. I think there's a lot of 
sort of opportunity there to work with tourism boards. Yeah, I get it. And yeah. share also in the cost of these campaigns. Yeah. Because it's for the benefit of both. But I get it because also you I mean you're not a mass market, so you're not you're not flying to thousands of destinations. It's pinpoint stuff rather than blanket. Social media, you've got a strong social media presence and um my understand your focus is on engagement and building a bit of brand loyalty and you do that through very very personalized interactions and customer service so how do you do that when your people need to stay on brand and you need to give them the ability to respond quickly but kind of on message how how have you gone about setting up your social media teams as jetblue we are a company that likes puns and okay. you know the way we sort of um Enter the UK market, we we felt like, oh wow, we better be careful here. Maybe we'll take it too far sometimes, and people won't understand our character and our personality. But actually, over time, people do understand that we are not as formal in that approach. We aim to res- to get to 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 resolve an issue. If yeah, there is okay. an issue, we aim to resolve it for the success of the customer and the yeah. benefit of the customer. So that is sort of the key of okay. our motivation. Okay. And when you do that, when you have that motivation, it's always from the heart. When it's from the heart, it's genuine and that's felt always, you know. So, so yeah, we the, bring that moment back to customer It's humanity, service. isn't it? You're it bringing is. humanity back to it yes. through social media. Yes, so, yes. yeah, okay. I Love often it. get I often get myself um inbox notes from customers that are like, "Oh, we just had this experience. Can you help us? Can you do yeah. something?" And honestly, I never leave that uh, behind. I always pick it up myself because I really believe that even if you help one person, yeah. it will it will have a domino effect. Yes, absolutely. Will. And that is social. And that's what we love about it. But you're also into sponsorship. Yes. Yeah, so we have quite strong sponsorship in the United States. Yeah. Uh, especially not small names either. No, not yeah, small yeah, names. Yeah. But uh, we sponsor, I'll give an example, Red Sox. Uh, very popular. People love it. Um, we have um, a number of sponsorships that we have, especially in our focus cities okay. like New York, Boston, Orlando. We try to show that we are a true partner in the community. We haven't yet embarked on sponsorships across the pond. Um, we had a number of reputable brands reach out to us for kind of partnerships and sponsorships. Yep. We are not doing that just yet, but yep. we are what we are doing. We're partnering up with communities. So we have um, two big projects here in the UK. We work with Fairshare and Inspire, and we devote our First of all, free time to 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 support, but also financial resources, and we also, um, especially in the case of Inspire, we work with students uh, across okay. schools in Hackney, Camden, Islington, to actually bring to them the career opportunities that aviation offers. Okay. So they spend work experience weeks with us. They come to the airport. That's awesome. Oh, it's the best. These kids love it. They yeah, simply love bet, it. They, some of them never seen an airplane before. Yep. So they come to the airport. We ensure that they get airside passes okay. so they can cross <laughs> on the other side where you go only when you fly. And then you just go straight to the air, airplane. They go into the cockpit. They see the pilot. Yep. They spend time with them there. And it's really the best. Okay. I've got one more um, thing on promotion, which you may, I don't know, you may not want to talk about. So far, this has been a great ad for JetBlue because the innovation is amazing. But it hasn't always been rosy, I know. Um, the Valentine's Day storm crisis comes to mind. But out of it came a communication framework that I think our listeners can learn from that has served you ever since, I think, so that if something doesn't go well, uh, transparency, empathy, responsiveness. 
100%. Okay. Are you able to talk about the framework a little bit? I mean, well, as someone that's on this side of the pond, um, our flights, transatlantic flights, have always been seen as very special, and our team has always protected them with lives, I'm basically. Sure, yeah, yeah. So we have never had that kind of impact on our transatlantic customer. But you're 100% right. I was observing that from here and looking at how our leaders were dealing with the situation and our teams across the business, because this involves entire back, let's say, support uh, structure that we have. And I have to say, the most important part here was to actually admit and say, that's right, we take on, it, it was a mistake and oversight, this we didn't do right, we didn't do it right. But we know and we're learning from this and we're going to make this work and being extremely transparent about how we're going to make it work. Are we going to, for the benefit of our customers, reduce the number of flights? Yes, we will, to make operations work. We will adapt. We will make it happen. And sometimes it's not just our fault, but sometimes it's the air traffic control situation. And even in those situations, we will respond and we will say, this is what we can do. Even for this summer, you know, everybody's talking about the summer. How is the aviation going to survive this summer? We're all keen to know as well, by the way. Yeah. But because it's uh, uh, it's something that it's out there and we don't know what it is going to look like, it's uncertain. We have to do the damage control ourselves in advance and we have to make sure that we are prepared, that we can observe every single scenario and say, in okay. case this, okay. then that, in case this, then this. And we have reduced the number of flights for this summer. We have significantly cut the uh, the number of frequencies in certain routes, the number of flights, just to make sure that yeah. if something goes wrong, we we are ready. We're there. We did our best. Yeah, I mean, I know that there are several business schools that use that as a kind of case study in how to manage a crisis. So we're kind of back to the ad thing because you guys did manage it particularly well. It but, was a letter of commitment that went out. Yes, and I th- but also I think you reflect modern culture particularly well you know this is a time when certainly very few politicians tell the truth to camera or admit any no, no one admits anything wrong people apologize for the inconvenience rather than for the fact so i think the fact that you guys fessed up and said okay it's on us we can solve this probably was like a masterstroke it's yeah. human it's, it's human. being human yeah bringing humanity back Here it's we go humanity again. yeah Now, when many people talk about marketing, they only really think about promotion. And we have just been talking about that. And it's been refreshingly short because obviously at least half of our discussion was about product and price. But even when it came to promotion, isn't it amazing the clarity with which the JetBlue team thinks? Like entering the new market, they know they haven't got the budgets to go head to head with their rivals and they're not even interested in it. So at the same time that everyone else is disintermediating the traditional travel industry, they're making friends with them. And guess what? It got them into the market by doing something that everyone else thought didn't matter anymore. And that kind of ability to see something that's kind of, if you like, counterculture in business really makes this business stand out. And, you know, I also love the attention to detail that Maya talked about when it comes to dealing with the trade, you know, getting them involved in the product, getting them involved in the fact, you know, their families involved in the product. This is the kind of stuff that 25 years ago was the norm in the travel industry. One of my clients, when I very first started out, was involved in that kind of work, but it doesn't get done anymore because everyone assumes it's all about direct and online. Well, do you know what? Sometimes 
a blue ocean isn't completely new, it's just the things that everyone else neglected. Let's now go on to talk about place. I want to move on to place as our final P. And I think we've hinted at this already, but in, like in the US, like nine, I think it's 90%, something like that, of your bookings come through online. Here you decided to go through the trade. The trade, as you said, absolutely loved that. Are you now taking bookings direct too? Or what, what are you looking, omni-channel, multi-channel? What does it look like for transatlantic? Fantastic. So definitely multi-channel. So yep. we we do sell through our JetBlue.com. Yep. And uh, we are having more and more customers that recognize the brand that yep. have tried us and go back to the, to the JetBlue.com where they will find always the best price out there. But we have also those customers that like to maybe go on a package travel or like to trust the, the travel trade more, yep. have their travel agents sitting there waiting for them so they can walk into their office and book the flight. So we distribute through travel trade in the UK. In this market, the travel trade has become, especially after the pandemic, the trusted channel okay. where customers will go. They know they they basically sit face to face with someone. They will help them and they know that if they have to cancel for whatever reason, that the tra- travel agent will assist them in that whole thing. So we definitely invested a lot in our work with uh, with the travel trade. And um, I can give you a few examples. We organized numerous visits to the airport, to our aircraft, to experience the cabin, yeah. to see it. We organized a number of fam trips. So we would take the groups of agents, key agents, key partners, to experience our product, go to New York, back, spend a few days in destination, understand what we're all about. The same goes to Boston. And in particularly for Boston, for example, this is where also the tourism partners come into play because they help on the other side. I was going to say, actually, that must be a great pull pull through effect. So someone goes to a travel agent, they know they need a holiday, they're not quite sure where. Exactly. And what we needed to do also, we needed to remind a little bit. So it was easy to get everybody to go back to New York. New York has always been on top of everybody's mind. So pandemic was over, corridor opened up. Everybody was like, oh, if I'm going to the U.S., I'll go to New York first. So that's where everybody went. But what we needed to remind people of was Boston. Yeah, Boston is just there amazing cultural offering, food, this, that, you know, and the other. And and we had to educate about destination too. Okay. And not just Boston, but all the other destinations that we offer through those gateways into sure. either US, Latin sure. America or Caribbean. That work took place. And in fact, we just have a fam trip leaving tomorrow oh, to really? Puerto Rico. Oh, nice. Yes. So I've got till tomorrow to get a job in a travel agent. Get, get, <laughs> get a job, get yourself on the list. <laughs> so Puerto Rico is happening tomorrow, but we have big ones coming up to New York and to Boston. Okay. And we're going to do the same in other markets. We're now entering France and, and, and Netherlands. And by the way, these are markets that know even less of JetBlue than UK. Yeah, okay, okay. So it's really interesting because to even look at that, because French market, you know, the language barrier and everything else, yeah. the same goes for the Dutch market. They've been focused on other carriers that fly sure. that are dominant in their market. So it's us coming in and trying to kind of say, look, look at us. Because you love a fight. We love a fight. <laughs> love a, a fair, it's fair new, game. A it's fair, the New York fair. spirit though again, isn't it, right? You know, from Queens. You don't build, you don't, exactly. You don't build a city like New York or come from Queens unless you like a bit of a you got to be bold. Exactly. you got to yeah. be bold. Speaking of bold, one of the other things I think is interesting because you're a non-aligned carrier. You get to choose who you work with and who you partner with. And you, you know, I think you mentioned this very briefly earlier, but 
effectively they're competitors. I suppose they may not be root competitors, but how do you how do you choose who you partner with? Is it about ethos and culture? It will be. So um, I'll, I'll tell you, this non-aligned uh, status gives us the ability to actually be very flexible in the approach. And we can talk, a lot of carriers want to talk to us and we want to talk to a lot of carriers, especially now that we're entering these new markets. This, yeah. You know, the, the, the way airlines grow their networks is either through their own ability to serve yeah. them or through the partners. Yep. So that gives us a bit more value. And we always look to give that value, pass it on to the customer. So for example, we partner with a nu- numerous partners on this side of the Atlantic, like um, Aer Lingus. They're again, part of another <laughs> yeah, okay. grouping. And that, that kind of, you know, people will think, how come? Well, it because it's because it makes sense. You've got to get into Boston, You have right? good, <laughs> <laughs> good strong St. Patrick's. Links. Good strong links, <laughs> yes. exactly. Yeah, yeah. The Irish community, but I mean, it's just great. You know, I we also it. have good partnership in terms of our leaders being partners with their leaders yeah. and so on. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, the Asian community is a family. Uh, we yeah. do compete, and yeah. we know where we compete and why we okay. compete. But we also look for ways that we can cooperate as well. Brilliant. Maya, that's the end of our four Ps. But before we go, I'd like to ask you to give a bit of advice to marketers that may be listening to this show about innovation, maybe value innovation, but innovation particularly. With today's conversation as a lens, what advice would you give to marketers who want to innovate and create value in their businesses? Like, where do you start? I'd start with people. Okay. I think first, Everyone needs to recognize that we live in times where everybody is a marketer. Whichever industry is that walking billboard or that ambassador that will tell the story. It is more and more becoming about storytelling. And I think we all need to collect those stories to be able to to tell them on. And I think it's about being more open-minded to doing business in a different way. Okay, You're just getting out of the... usual frame and being able to recognize that, you know, an opportunity could be everywhere around us. It's important to have this vision as well on how do you fit things into what you already have or where you would like to be in the future. So I don't know, for me, everything is an opportunity. For example, when I look and talk to people, I listen and I'm thinking, hmm, that could fit here well. Okay. I think we can talk about that and maybe from this perspective and, you know, slowly you find yourself in, in kind of entering different waters and having a whole other marketing structure that works for you. Well, there you have it, folks. Wasn't that amazing? Over this two-part episode, Maya's given us unprecedented insight into how JetBlue, the company, thinks, and more importantly, their behaviours and actions that have built their business from the ground up. As I said right at the beginning, this was a story about value innovation, competing on value and differentiation at the same time. And that is not an easy thing to do. But Kim and Moborn's book, Blue Ocean Strategy, spells out a process that you too can follow. It gets a very, very strong recommend from me. Now, today I'm going to summarize some of the key takeouts from this episode, part one and part two, by referencing the principles and tools outlined in their book. But I'm only going to be able to give you a soupçon. Really, please go to the show notes. There'll be a few more notes there, but I would suggest you uh, get a copy of the book yourself. So let's just start our recap by explaining Blue Ocean Strategy and why I think it is probably important for you. 
Now, Chan Kim and Renia Moborn's book, Blue Ocean Strategy's subtitle says it all. How to create uncontested market space and make the competition irrelevant. Doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to do? Now, in their parlance, a red ocean is probably where most of us live. Red oceans are markets where every piece of new business you win makes one of your competitors bleed and the ocean literally runs red. Now, you'll be pleased to know that blue oceans don't involve blood of any kind. Blue Ocean Strategy describes the pursuit of differentiation and low cost to open up new market spaces and create new demand. It's all about creating and capturing new customers and demand and breaking away from the competition. The author's theory is that just about any business can find a blue ocean, and that includes you, obviously. Now, when I first heard about their work, I was transfixed because I grew up on Michael Porter and I used to use his tools, things like Five Forces and Value Chain Analysis, to analyse markets and hone my strategy. But this theory flies in the face of his orthodoxy that you can have differentiation or price leadership, but not both. And that got me to thinking, how could we identify a blue ocean of our own? After all, Agency land is super competitive, and whenever an account is won, elsewhere an agency bleeds. So that's what I've been doing, and I'd thoroughly recommend you do the same too. You know, you might never adopt a Blue Ocean strategy, but thinking through the process will give you a different perspective on your market, your customers, and your competition. So where do you start? Well, the obvious place is to read the text. It's a really enjoyable read. It's got really good, interesting case studies with businesses like Cirque du Soleil and Southwest Airlines. But right now, I'm just going to quickly outline some of the core principles and I'm going to highlight some of the parts of the model that I found particularly useful. I'm going to put those links on the show notes at unicorny.co.uk, of course. Now, like all strategy, if you want to apply the principles and explore more, you're going to need to do some research. And while I'd love to suggest that Selby Labs could do that for you, well, this kind of field work is best done by you, at least to start with. You're looking for new insights about your market and you are best placed to do that. Okay, here goes. Important principles of Blue Ocean strategy using illustrations of how Maya and JetBlue have applied them. Number one, obsess about value innovation. Now, if you didn't hear Maya's passion and obsession with both value and differentiation, you must have been multitasking while this interview played out. You basically ignored the advice I gave you at the beginning of part one. Maya is one of, if not the most passionate guests I think we've ever hosted. But also, did you notice the level of detail she went into covering every area of the business during our conversation? You can only get that kind of detail and know that it's going to hit a home run with your customers if you really really know them and you can only do that if you've done your field work that's why as much as i'd love to do it for you you probably need to get into the weeds number two don't be bound by market boundaries as they're seen today when JetBlue launched i doubt there was anyone saying oh if only we had another airline serving these routes because the established routes the established market boundaries well they were already established and the incumbent carriers were slugging it out So JetBlue didn't look at what others were doing within the framework of the existing market. They looked at what they weren't doing. Where were the underserved cities? The competition for point-to-point capacity on those routes wasn't with the airline industry. It was with trains, buses and cars. So JetBlue created its own market boundaries by redefining the market and it redefined them in an area where it knew it could win. Next up, and I think we're at point three, Look beyond your current customers. 
Now, meeting unmet need isn't always about making new market boundaries. Sometimes it's looking at new customers within established markets. Now, JetBlue's bold move into transatlantic routes speaks volumes. Taking their inaugural dive into Heathrow during a time when the pandemic had practically put a pause on all worldwide travel, well, that was daring to say the least. But here's where they shone. Instead of adhering to time-honoured categorizations of economy, premium economy and business, JetBlue decided to shake things up. They introduced Mint, a fresh take on business class, targeting those passengers who'd typically be eyeing premium economy instead. And this wasn't just about adding another seat class, it was about reimagining value. They didn't just stick to the playbook, they went above and beyond. And it's kind of reminiscent of the more of, less of, or start-stop philosophy that is outlined in Chan and Moborn's teaching. Next up, start your strategy with customers, not the market. Now, this might get me shot by traditionalists, but I'm going to go ahead anyway. Like value innovators sequence the execution of their strategy differently than differentiators or price leaders. It's not unlike comparing the approach of a traditional architect with a visionary. Like the old school strategist drawing from well-established playbooks builds strategies starting with the market. Such strategies are rooted in rivalry, vying for the attention of an existing audience. They tow the line, sticking close to what other industry giants are doing, often focusing on one-upping their nearest rival. And then you have the blue ocean thinkers. They're not just about differentiating, they're about rewriting the whole rulebook. Instead of starting with a status quo, they start by seeing what others don't. And in blue ocean terms, that's called buyer utility. Analyzing buyer utility is the method you use to look beyond a traditional customer base. It refers to the value a customer receives and perceives from your product or service, emphasizing it, how it meets their needs, expectations, and enhances their experience. Now, you heard how JetBlue reimagined everything from their airframes, their interiors, their menus, to their Wi-Fi, their supply partners, to their seats. JetBlue understood where its customers saw utility. That was their starting point. And by the way, that's your starting point too. That's why the field work has to be started, at least started, by you. And if you do get uh, choose to get someone else involved in field work, I would very strongly recommend you keep your hand in it through the whole way because by utility is where it all starts. Now, I could devote at least another hour to this subject, but for today, I think that's probably enough. If you're still here, thank you for listening. And of course, a huge thank you to Maya for an amazing and insightful journey into such an interesting business. I've taken enough of your time today. Thank you. But for now, I am going to head back into the forest to find more insight for the Unicorny Project. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.